Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, brought to you by Carvana. We sell cars, but we are not car salesmen. Featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one, Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will, for the 22 debut. We are KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And, of course, we feature our resident superstar, the great seven-time Grand Slam champion, former number one in the world, International Tennis Hall of Famer. That would be Mats Vlander. We've got two-time All-American from the University of Texas. He'll be joining us a little bit later. That is Johnny Levine. I'll start with you, Matt, before we get to our special guest and just say Happy New Year. And did you have okay holidays? You're doing all right. Yes, thank you. Happy New Year to you. Yes, I haven't made any promises so far that I that I have to keep. So I think a New Year's resolution is uh, out the window this year. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to a better year than the last two. And our special guest, and the timing couldn't be better for this, Matt, because uh, with the Australian Open looming large here in the next couple of weeks, to have one of the great Aussies of all time. And, you know, it's a pretty short list of the great Swedes of all time. You're certainly on that list, along with Stefan Edberg and Bjorn Borg and a handful of others. When you talk about the great Aussies of all time, it takes a little bit longer to take the role. But this guy... uh, Made the Wimbledon doubles final a couple of times, 84-85. And many people think that the crown jewel of his career, that being Pat Cash, was the 87 Wimbledon title that he won over Yvonne Lendl. But I was doing a little homework, and I come to find out that he won the decider as a young man in 1983 in the Davis Cup final. Believe he might have taken out your boy, Yoki Nystrom, when Australia took down Sweden back in 83 for the Davis Cup title. Pat Cash, welcome to KickServeRadio.com. So great to have you with us. Thank you very much. You didn't. You, you missed out on the other. I, I want to try and get my wins over the Swedes announced. If Let's hear it. Uh, <laughs> if it's 86, 86 win against Sweden as well. And then some dirtbag called Edberg and dirtbag called Willander got me in the two Australian Open finals. <laughs> 87 <laughs> and 88. I've got to mention my wins. You've got to get my wins against the Swedes. Well, and let's just, while we're at it, let's just mention that you were a part of what's considered by many to be the greatest day of tennis in the history of our sport, that being 84 U.S. Open Super Saturday, when you and Yvonne Lendl went the distance, followed by Everton Novotrilova going the different distance, followed by of course, Mac and Jimmy go into a tiebreaker in the fifth set in a, in a day of tennis that we're still all recovering from all these years later. But, uh, but Cashy, let's talk what's going on. And it's the story of stories right now. I mean, there have been a couple of international incidents that have touched our sport in the last several months. But the current one is the situation where Novak Djokovic, very innocently, in his opinion, comes back to town to try to defend his title and win his 10th Australian Open title. Feels like he's got a proper visa and that he's got an exemption only to find out when he arrives at the airport that the uh, the Australian prime minister is not having any of it, that rules are rules. And right now, last we've heard, he is basically in quarantine in a hotel, and we're not sure whether he's going to be deported. The floor is yours. Uh, tell us what your thoughts are on this whole situation. Uh, I'm not going to tell you my, all my thoughts on this okay. situation. <laughs> we, we could be here for a long time, but um, a long, long time. Yeah, look, it's... Uh, 
I think what we found in in Australia is that um, uh, when Novak announced that he, you know, was trying to get his medical uh, uh, exemption, I think here in Australia they went crazy. I mean, they've been – Australia, of course, and Victoria particularly have had the longest lockdown of any city in the world and yet have no – almost no cases. And this was all last year. They locked down for 240-odd days. Um, the Victorians have been bludgeoned, absolutely bludgeoned. And then to hear and, and being coerced into vaccinations and uh, can't do, literally cannot do anything. I mean, the, the draconian measures they have over here are absolutely incredibly um, mind-boggling. And so when Novak, they said, well, Novak's going to come in without being vaccinated, it was just a massive uproar. How could he do that? What we've been through? Look what we've been through. We've had to get vaccinated. We don't want to let this guy in. And of course, the, the tennis Australia, Craig Tiley, and uh, you know, they quite rightly said, "Listen, um, we're not give, letting him in. We're, he's got an exemption, and he's been through two independent, blind studies from from medical experts, um, national medical experts who, who, who deal with these situations. So, in other words, they put the case forward. They don't know who it is, who this person is. It could be Novak Djokovic." It could be a grandmother from from uh, the middle of Australia. We don't know. They, know. they don't know. They just read the case and they vote on it. And two of them passed. Them. So they gave him the medical. Okay, as a medical example, you can come into Australia. Now, of course, he jumps on the plane and now he's not allowed in. Now, they haven't been clear at this stage. I mean, it might change in the next half an hour and news bulletin might come out. I don't Who knows? But it seems to be that he basically came in on the wrong visa. Now, as we know, if you go into a country... Uh, and you come in the wrong visa, often they just send you home. Sorry, you got to go and you got to reapply from back to where you were or somewhere else or another country and reapply and then come back in. You know, I think in, in this situation, I, I just find it hard to believe that they've invited, you know, one of the greatest players of all time, defending champion. They knew the situation. Uh, sometimes, you know, the, so if you're inviting this, this great champion to play in, their, in the Australian Open, You've got to be able to, you know, make some amends and, and at least, you know, push push through this visa if it, if he qualifies. And assuming he does, according to the medical experts, he's qualified to come in. We'll just have to see how it unfolds. I mean, will he just get sent back? We'll we'll have to wait and see. But at the moment, I think he's just hoping that you know they can get the the visa through already or clear up any misunderstandings. Cashy, what's the situation? I mean, for for just normal players. Uh... Uh, are they going to be in some kind of a bubble or a lockdown or from the hotel to the tennis courts? What, what, is, what are the players dealing with here for the next couple of weeks? Yeah, it's, it's better than it was last year. Uh, though, um, so no, nobody's allowed into the country unless you have a medical exam or you've, or you've been vaccinated. So the, the, all the players that are cleared to play um, are then in, in many ways open. So once you're in, in, a, in theory, once you're in, you're in. Um, once you've been cleared, you're in, and you can go off and do and, and do whatever you want. Go and have dinner and and uh, you know catch up. But you know it seems to be reasonably free. Put it that way. Pat, while we're on the subject of international incidents, let's just get it out of the way. You are currently working with a a brilliant Chinese player, um, Chang Huang, who beat Serena at the Australian Open last year and has had some great wins in her career. And I would I would have to think that you teaming up with her uh, has got success written all over it. But the Chinese player that people are most concerned about by the end of the year was 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 Peng Shui because of the situation that mm. developed with her and because of the fact that you've got ties to uh, the Chinese 
you know, players on the, on the women's tour. What can you tell us about that situation? Yeah, look, just through, um, through some of the contacts I've had uh, through the Chinese tennis, uh, it would appear that she's, she's certainly fine and well um, and always has been, uh, according to her and her, her, her coach, who uh, doubles coaches uh, who work with her. Um, Scott Davidoff. Scotty Davidoff, yeah. My all reports through his connections and what he's seen is that she's been fine and well and she's been home and she's sort of scratching her head about what, why is everybody getting all up, uh, all excited? You know, that's pretty much according to, to her and, and for, for what she's relayed to him, um, to, to him and others, uh, is that, wow, uh, what, what's going on? So, look, the bottom line is that it seems like Peng Shui is, is fine, um, according to, to what I've been told. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, she, <laughs> until she turns up at, at one of the Grand Slam tournaments straight open here or something, I don't, we, I'm not going to know for sure. Cashy, obviously Australia has um, had some unbelievable players in the past. You were one of them. And just like America a little bit, Australia has struggled to get great male players through. What, what do you think, what, what is the main reason there? Like, what did you bring to the court that the likes of Nick Curios and Tanasi Kokonakis and, and Alex Diminar as well? I mean, is there a difference in mindset or where do you think, that, what's the secret to them not having great players that, that do well these days with all the money that Tennis Australia has, just like the USDA? Yeah, we've had a great tradition, and I think people like like playing tennis. Certainly when I was growing up, there were so many people playing tennis. Um, now there's so many different sports to be playing, but particularly the girls. Uh, it's amazing. Actually, we've had Sam, Sam Stozer, who's a Grand Slam champion, and Ash Barty, considering how much the other sports in Australia pull our talent our sporting talent away from what you say, traditional sports. Our traditional sports aren't as successful as they used to be. Um, I think the bottom line is that, um, you know, you need some superstar talent, uh, athletes who have got the determination and, and, the, and the technique uh, that can hold you, you through. You need everything. I mean, you, you had everything, Matt. So I, mean, I think some of these guys, you, know, you look at Nick Kyrgios, it's, it's, you know, you, you can tell he's got almost everything. This is one thing, one thing he's, you know, he's not so, not so good at. And you might say the same thing is for Diminar as actually he's incredibly tough and determined and fast. And, but does he have a big shot? You know, he's curious Kyrgios has got those big shots, you know, uh, Tanasi Kokonakis, of course has been injured. He could, he's, he may have, you know, the great shots. He's tough, tough mentally. Physically, he's breaking down from time to time, um, you know, and, uh, if, you know, the network around him, that's a bit of a question mark about about that. You know, it, it's a really tough sport and it's, you know, if I think we just got to, we're very lucky we've got Ash Barty. As, we've always had, we've had somebody in the generation, you know, we've been pretty lucky. We've had, we had Hewitt, obviously had, but had uh, Philip Pousses and Rafter before that. Philip Pousses was successful, though didn't quite get a slam and, um you know, he had the Woodies before that and uh, with Hewitt and then you know, Stozer and now, and now uh, Ash Barty. So I've always had somebody to cheer on pretty much every decade, though, you know, he haven't had the whole lot like, like you Swedes did uh, one after the other for, uh, for the whole, whole generation. Pat, let me ask you along these lines of, you know, trying to uh, sort of integrate your generation of tennis and in, in today's, I mean, you look back and you mentioned, you know, Patty Rafter, who we've had on the show. And I, I think back when I've watched you guys play your Wimbledon finals and U.S. Open matches, and I see these classic serve and volleyers and, 
guys that were that grew up in the uh, in the wake of the golden era. You mentioned the you know the labors, the nukes, the mo's, and that bunch. And you guys had tremendous passion and uh, work ethic and discipline. And now you're working with a group of kids that it's all about social media. It's all about surf plus one and and a game that you didn't play. How hard has it been for the coaches of let's say our age to evolve, to be able to play into the mindset of today's players? Is that part of the problem? Uh, Look, I I don't think it's makes it any easier. Um, You know, we're tending to see old, you know, a lot of players, uh, players, Older, though we are seeing some good young players come through, like Sinner and various guys. But you know, because it's so such a physical game now in tennis um, that you have to, you know, 15, 20 shot rallies side to side to side are, are not unusual. Um, you, it sometimes just takes a few years for that consistency. Uh, you know, somebody like Matts to come out and win the French Open at seventeen and never not miss a ball for three and three and a half weeks. Um, uh, that's if you're lucky. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of un, almost unheard of. But they have, they have so because of the strings and the technology and the power. There's no doubts that that the strings change the game, change the game forever. Um, sure. So you you're seeing the decrease of the volley. So that's another part, element of the game that you don't really have to use. It's almost a you know a, 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 just a tactical type of thing. So you're seeing guys who are just becoming so good at hitting ground strokes at at furious pace. And they're just getting better and better and better at it. And they don't have to develop another skill that we, we had to develop. Uh, we had to develop a volley. You couldn't possibly win in our era if you didn't have a volley of some of some form. You know, and, uh, and that's why I quite enjoy working with the women because I think there's still room there to for somebody to come through. We've seen this time and time again over the last few years. And then Radicano is another great example where, it's so even that even a qualifier can come through and win a Grand Slam, um, which makes it exciting. Because and then so every girl on that tour is this year. It's been incredible to see that every girl on the tour thinks they can win a Grand Slam. I mean, no, I'm not joking. They all say, "Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I think I can win. If I can get for a run, I can, I can win a semi or get to a semi final or a final of a Grand Slam." The confidence in the in the locker room now is 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 crazy. So you know they're all so determined. And it's, it, I think it's taken the women's tennis to another level in actual fact. Yeah. Cashy, for, for the people listening here, when we talk about, because obviously we, we've seen Roger Federer come to the net at times and, and Rafa Nadal comes to the net and he often just hits one volley. But mm. apart from that, the obvious reason, which is the guys hit the ball so hard so that you can't cover the whole court, so you get passed all the time. Yeah. Technically, because of the spin ratio, is that why it's difficult as well? Because these strings, they don't have the same feel uh, and uh, it's very difficult to control a volley uh, if the guy hits with a lot of spin. What's the technical part of it being difficult? Yeah, yeah, you're right, the spin. So the the ball is just moving through the air very fast, but it's also dipping, as you know. You you go to – I remember when I first – encountered these strings I, I thought there was something wrong with the balls um you know the the, the guy was the ball was go, looked like it was going out the court all the time and they would just drop in and then fly off the top and I was I literally at the end of the match I play a practice match with this guy and I'm I was looking at the balls and looking at the court and saying to my coach what's happened here and uh and and, and literally I mean after a while I worked out Oh, he's got, somebody said, oh, he's got the new strings. I'm like, what new strings? What are you talking about? 
And it literally made, it was, it was a joke. And he, I would go for a volley and the ball would be right there on my racket and it would just drop straight almost underneath my racket. And, um, a knuckleball, I suppose, you know, if Americans are going to understand that. So it takes extra skill now to be a, a good volleyer. So we see Nadal and Federer, Murray, of course. Murray, they, Federer uses a half a blend of uh, gut and, uh, and and I think Murray does as well. Uh, Nadal uses the full polyester type of strings to get his, his spin. But, I mean, Nadal changed the sport. Uh, light rackets, incredibly powerful racket with uh, this polyester string. You know, we've never seen anybody change the sport maybe as 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 drastically as Rafa Nadal has, and uh, um, you know, people are copying that. But he's 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 got such an incredible talent; he can actually volley really well as well. So there's very few people who can volley well with these with these strings, and that's uh, that again. That's another deterrent to come into the net. Cashy, before uh, we go on, Matt, I know has has a couple more things, but as we as we look forward, and I know you're spending most of your time on the women's tour, but now that we we really sort of can realistically look past the big three a little bit into who are this next crop of guys, and we saw Daniil Medvedev win a major, and we saw Sasha Zverev, you know, end the year strong. We saw Stefanos Tsitsipas really start the year strong. Of this new crop of guys, if you had an opportunity to say, "Boy, I'd like to coach that guy," I think I could do great things. Who's the guy you kind of got your eye on out of this next group? Gee, there's some. Uh, I think Sinner's going to be a, a very good player. Uh, Alcaraz, yeah, no doubts, no doubts. Um, yeah, he's he's a machine. Um, probably not somebody I'd. Uh, I wouldn't say not, not, not I'd like to coach somebody like that who's that talented because he can. He's a real modern Nadal, isn't he? He just hits the ball so hard, and he's he's fast, and he's got he's actually got the skills to to learn how to become an all court player. I love the way Sitsa Pats plays. You know, he's a great all court player. I mean, wow. Um, you know, Shapovalov. I think he's just got a. He's just. I think he overhits. I think he's uh, fantastic. Again, another another player who's just got to learn when to hit what shot when. And I think Dimitrov has failed. And so far in his career, on in that respect, yeah, there's some there's some real good talent coming through, isn't there? Well, and also you mentioned Shapovalov, FAA, as far as Canadians go, I, I've kind of liked what I've seen from him. He seems like he's a poised kid with a lot of talent too. Uh, who's that? Sorry, Felix Ajay Aliassimi. Oh yeah, yeah, get another one. Yeah, he can move, and boy, he is a super athlete. He's a super athlete. When you got the super great athletes like that, determination, um, and these guys well develop. You know, they'll work out what shots to hit when. But I think right at the moment, the opportunity is there for Zverev to get his first Grand Slam, isn't it? I mean, I think Medvedev would be the go. Even if Djokovic does get through this, I'm not sure when the podcast comes out, even if even if he does get through this, it, boy, it's going to be a tough ask for him to be having to deal with all this, sitting in quarantine and everything else, and to come out and play uh, and, and win with all this stress. Um, it's going to be tough. So I think it really is Medvedev or, or Zverev's opportunity really to grab a his first one. Yeah, Kashi, I've been I've been promoting here that how how about Novak Djokovic not winning another major and the three of them end up on twenty? Yeah. What do you think the chances are? Because suddenly they think they can beat Novak now. This is younger uh, generation or the Medvedevs and and Tsitsipas. But the interesting question for me then is Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. Let's say eight, nine years ago, when they were physically at their absolute best, if you compare them 
eight, nine years ago, to Medvedev and Zverev, leave the mental side apart. But just as a physical game, are they at the same level now as they were 10 years ago? I mean, I tend to think that they must be because it's the human being and we're developing uh, in, uh, in, uh, in physical ways, not just technical and mental. But what do you think of the level uh, compared to the big three at their best? Yeah, these guys. I mean, as you said, we're all we're learning constantly about how to recover and 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 various things to do. And yeah, I mean, myself, I'm a bit of a health nut, as, as you know. And you know, the things that I've discovered, even in the last year or two, for recovery that I, I never heard, I never didn't, didn't know anything about, never heard of before. You know, whether it's supplements or you know treatments or whatever. It just makes a world of difference. Yeah, and, and you know what? I think you might be right on the mark there, Matt, with about Novak maybe not winning another slam. I mean, there's absolutely possibility you won't win another slam. Having won three and almost four, well, not almost four, but you know, certainly having the opportunity to win all four, that's got to tie you out. Uh, yeah, they think he can be beaten. This is going to be a tough Australian Open. You get to the French Open. Uh, you know, I think his best bet is Wimbledon. Uh, Novak's, to be honest, shorter points, softer on the body, uh, and his returning is just so good that um, you know he's just a yard above everybody else. So, I think Wimbledon is going to be his best bet to, to to get ahead, but he well could finish on on twenty. And I, I don't, I'm not sure about the rumor. Somebody uh, sent me a funny text saying that uh, uh, the, the health minister here in Australia is a massive Roger Federer fan, and that's why they didn't let him into. Into. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that could be true because actually the health minister used to be uh, used to be the sports minister. So, oh, there we go. There we have it. See, I knew if we if we kept him on long enough, Matts, we would uncover the truth. We would get to the bottom of this thing. Yeah, Pat. Before we let you go, you know, uh, I, I was telling Matts before we went on air. I said, well, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at these stats here, and it's like, boy, '88 was a pretty good year for both of you guys. Obviously, you won Wimbledon in '87, Pat, but number but number four in the world in '88 was was your high. And we, you know, certainly talk uh, on a, almost a weekly basis about Matt's three majors in 88 on the show. We have to, it's part of my contract, <laughs> bring that up. but let's talk about that Australian final. You guys squaring off in 88 and Australia. Now you had played the final, correct me if I'm wrong here. You played the final against Stefan on grass in 87 mm. and then against Matt's on a hard court in 88, made a final on two different surfaces, two years in a row. Yeah, uh, and Matt's had an unbelievable year. Uh, you know, that was just absolutely phenomenal one. Um, yeah, I was well, like I was. That was my goal. That was, I mean, I, of all the things that I achieved in my career, I was, you know, I was hoping to win the, my home home Grand Slam, of course, and I didn't quite get there. But it was it was a very exciting time for Australia because we we'd won the Davis Cup in '86. They announced they're going to build a new stadium for for a nine for for '88. Um, you know, the Victorian government put loads of money in to build this new arena. We wanted a sort of fast court because in rich, literally in the words, I think the Davis Cup, Neil Fraser, our Davis Cup legend said, he said, we don't want the Czechs and the Swedes to come over and, and take our titles. Uh, meaning Lendl, I suppose. And then, uh, and Matt's particularly uh, that, you know, for baseline tennis, we want to keep a, you know, a, a serve volley element to, to tennis. So, there was um, a lot of discussion on what surface should be should be made, and we came up with this rebound ace surface, which was a home home type of surface, which is basically hardcore with a lot of rubber in it. And I think it was a fair fair surface. Um, you know, I felt like I had a great chance of doing well in the tournament, um, you know, and I played very well the way through and got to uh, 
played Lendl in the semi-final. He was world number one, and Matt's was in the other half against Stefan. And uh, I think yours was five sets too, wasn't it, Matt's against yeah. Stefan? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. We both had these battles, and then we were in the, the Australian Open final and on a windy, blustery, rainy, swirly day, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let me. I know we're gonna let you go, Pat, but I'm always interested in in this because I've, I've, and the reason I'm asking, I've heard uh, somebody ask John McEnroe if he had any regrets from his tennis career, um, and I can tell you what I have. I have a regret from my tennis career, which is I let go too easily. Once I, I I became number one in the world and whatever, whatever, and then when I realized I'm not as good anymore, the Sampras and Agassi and these guys, they're too good. I was intimidated a little bit, but I, I needed – afterwards, I'm like, why didn't I have people with me, around me, that could push me for another year or two, get through that barrier? What – what when you look back at your career, because you had an unbelievable career, pretty short because physically you were injured so much and and – surgeries and and whatnot what would you have done differently if anything in terms of your approach to the game whether it's mental or physical um would have been technical to be honest i mean you know my my forehand was was patchy uh it was when it was hot it was hot it was one of those sort of shots that you'd gamble you serve there it could be a winner or it could be a, a shot into the back fence you didn't really know uh i didn't really know myself so i would have probably tidied that up but you know, I was. You were very modern. You 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 had a modern technique, and uh, I was being Australia quite traditional. I was halfway between old school, which doesn't really work on a really, and, and then uh, worked on grass. But and then in the, in the modern era, which was some open stance, that sort of stuff. So I was sort of stuck in the middle. I just wish that I'd really gone um, to more of the uh, you know. The, the modern modern era, obviously, the more like you and probably a lot like Lendl, which was coming, you know, I was dip, I tiptoed around that. And and uh, in the end, I, I brought it into my game when it was really too late, but it was at the end of my career. And this is where I learned all about biomechanics. I think that itself, learning more about the biomechanics would have prevented a lot of injuries for me. And as far as regrets go, Matt, to your point, one regret that we will not have is the fact that we were able to get Pat Cash on the show for the 2022 debut of kickserveradio.com on tennis channel podcast network pat it's always a treat for me to be able to be on screen and talking to guys that i've watched growing up watching play uh your wimbledon finals and all of the stuff that matt has has done it's just such a treat thank you so much for joining us and best of luck down there with q and staying healthy down in australia thanks very much guys and good to see you matt yeah you too Cashy. thank you thank you good luck anytime buddy thanks tim Nestled in the spectacular Sun Valley area in Haley, Idaho, Matt's V-Lander Tennis allows athletes like you and me to train inside so that we can excel outside. Former number one and seven-time, yep, that's right, seven-time Grand Slam champion Matt's V-Lander now owns Gravity Fitness and Tennis. And let me tell you, Gravity is the premier fitness and tennis club in the Sun Valley area. They have it all, including indoor tennis, Lots of high-quality training equipment in a clean and bright, spacious workout area. They have yoga and Pilates, as well as hydro options. They also have martial arts and something I had never seen before, TRX suspension training. But most importantly, let's talk about the tennis. You will be trained by one of the all-time greats in the sport of tennis. 
time on court with mats is an amazing experience, one I assure you you will never forget. After my clinic with mats, every time I step on the court, I hear that focused intensity in that charming Swedish accent, reminding me of all the techniques that improve my game and get results. So grab your family, your friends, or the whole tennis team and head out to Haley, Idaho for a tennis experience of a lifetime. Go to MatsVLanderTennis.com to find out what's in store for you when you get to Gravity Fitness and Tennis in beautiful Haley, Idaho. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Season debut, 2022, HicksServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We, of course, want to thank the great Pat Cash for joining us. I'm Andy Zoden, joined by the great Matt Spielander, and now joined by Texas Longhorn great two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Johnny, Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Uh, how was your break? It's good, Andy. And I spent a little time in your neck of the woods in Colorado, and boy... Was it snowing? Yeah, well, you were in Aspen. Yeah, I was in Aspen, and uh, it was really incredible, the weather. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get on my snowboard this season but uh, uh, with a little bit of an injury, but hoping for next season and still enjoyed the, the fresh air and, and uh, the atmosphere, and uh, I'll be back in Phoenix this weekend. Well, and it's good to have you here with us, and you got lots to do in Phoenix because you got a huge event coming up in March. We'll get into that. A little bit later now, Matt's in the first segment with Pat Cash, we did talk about some of the things that that tennis is is struggling with right now uh, on an international front. We talked about the Novak Djokovic situation down in Australia. We talked a little bit about the Peng Shui situation being that Cashy coaches one of the Chinese ladies. But I think it's time to turn the page toward what kind of positives we can we can start to look for in this 2022 season, or at least, shall we say, what do we need to see this year for it to be a successful year in 2022? There have been so many challenges, not the least of which are the fact that the big three are in the deep part of the twilight of their career. So as we move forward, and you're going to be doing all the work that you're doing for Eurosport with all of the majors and us during our show, what are some things that we have to look forward to that can really lift tennis back up to a place where we can all feel like we're, you know, really gleaning some joy from the sport again. I think there's a lot of good stories that's, that's brewing. I mean, obviously with, with Rafa back in Australia, um, with Novak being keen to play at the Australian Open. I mean, the race is, is very much alive. Um, obviously we've talked about what happens if all three of them end up on 20 majors each, but which I think wouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, let, let them all, uh, be there together because they all deserve to be called the greatest player of all time. But I think that's an exciting thing. It's still very much so. Um, one of them can easily get to 21 slams after 2022. So on the men's side, then you have the Daniel Medvedev, the Stefan Tsitsipas, 
um, the Sasha Zverev. But then you have guys pushing from behind, Yannick Sinner, Carlos Alcaraz. So I think uh, if you take Novak and Rafa and put them to the side, I think it's very healthy. It's very difficult to know who's going to win majors. I guess the only thing I think I know is that we're not going to have one of these younger guys win three majors out of four in one season, at least not yet. Um, so I think it's very exciting. and There's a good chance we have four different uh, Grand Slam champions on the men's side. And on the women's side, I mean, Ash Barty is just brilliant at the top of the game. But I'm very excited to see Naomi Osaka back and to see where she uh, where she can get back to. And then, of course, you have the Coco Goffs of the world. So I think that both tours are extremely healthy uh, in terms of tennis, in terms of the physical part. But obviously, there's a few setbacks and, and a few uh, hurdles um, that needs to be cleared when it comes to the administrative part of tennis. Um, the biggest one most probably being the WTA situation in China, um, pulling out of some of those events and whatnot. So, I mean, there's a lot of problems that, that definitely need to be solved, but can they be solved as long as COVID is as rampant? I, I don't think so. I think it's going to be another year of uh, players sort of being in a bubble. And can you imagine some players have been in a bubble for four months in a row right now on tour? Crazy stuff. Johnny, when we look at the American game and if what I was just watching – from Tommy Paul, uh, as we record, he's on the court with Gael Monfils in Adelaide, and he ended the year strong with a great performance, winning his first tour event, uh, beating Denis Shapovalov in the final of Stockholm, and then seeing Francis Tiafo uh, finish the year the way he did, watching Taylor Fritz and Riley Opelka and some of the young Americans, uh, Sebastian Corda, finishing and, and having having spots in, in 2021 of, of some brilliance. Uh, do you think that this group of Americans is finally growing into a level of maturity that's going to allow them to be heard from in a big way this year? Yeah, I actually think the Americans uh, have a lot of hope for 2022. They, they finished strong. Uh, there's a number of guys in the top 100. And obviously, you've got Isner, Tommy Paul, TFO, uh, Mackie McDonald, Riley Opelka, and I don't know if you guys know this, but in Melbourne, the tournament that uh, there's a 250 right now that Nadal's playing, Maxime Cressy, who beat Karina Busta at the U.S. Open, uh, just beat uh, Riley Opelka, and he's in the quarterfinal of that event, and he had some match points at Indian Wells uh, against um, Schwartzman and ended up losing. So here's another guy with a monster serve uh, that played at UCLA, that um, is having a great run in, in Australia right now. So that's another name that we can add to the list of the Americans. Matt, this ATP Cup that's going on right now, I think it's in its, what, second or third year. And, and I, I, I'm concerned about it because is it too, is it too close bumping up, bumping up against Davis Cup the way it is to then turn around just a month or two later and have the ATP Cup? And then are both of those events – taking a backseat to the popularity of the Labor Cup, which really is sort of an exhibition, but seems like it's got a little bit more juice to it than either the ATP Cup or even any more in the new format that it's in with Davis Cup. Yeah, I think it's, it's weird. It is too many team events for sure. Um, I do think, though, that the ATP Cup is going to survive because it's, it's, uh, it's a great practice week. You can see that the guys are having a lot of fun. 
Um, there is definitely a team spirit uh, there. And I think it's, uh, you know, when we used to play Davis Cup, it was a lot easier to create a team spirit uh, when you're playing away, not at home when your family is there and your friends are there and the pressure is on from the home crowd. It's a lot easier to go and play for your country in another country. And, and really, Australia, of course, have the home court advantage. But so far, Australia, they don't have the players to to uh, be part of fighting for the title. So, I mean, Sasha Zverev played, Daniel Medvedev played, Stefan Tsitsipas is interesting. These guys... Uh, they have started out their careers by playing the ATP Cup. So I think it's going to survive. I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to thrive for sure. It's going to be a great event. Once the lockdown is over and you have three, uh, three or four places in Australia where they play two weeks before the Australian Open, Sydney, Perth, Adelaide. Um, I mean, it's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere when you fill this, the stadiums as well. So I actually think that the one that is in trouble is Davis Cup to me. Davis Cup is surviving because of the name. Uh, but Davis Cup, um, away for all of the countries, that's a horrific situation because a lot of countries, they survive on Davis Cup. Sweden, let's take Sweden. We're doing well uh, in, in, as a country, as a small country these days. But we don't get to play at home. That's nuts. So I think that there's a big mistake by the Davis Cup. Is there a place for the Davis Cup and home and, and away ties? I'm not sure. Labor Cup, I think you're right, Andy. I think the Americans need to – sorry, the Americans, I call them, but the, the international team, they need to get a win. They need to, to, to uh, uh, get something going. I think Davis Cup is the one I'm worried about. And actually – it's the one I care the most about because it's where I had my most fun as a professional player was playing for Sweden and Davis Cup. Winning three Davis Cup titles. And um, Johnny Matz makes the comment that, of course, COVID will continue to be a big challenge for the sport. And you running your own tournament and making the, the bold decision to come back and do your tournament. And have you decided on a name? I saw the most recent logo. Is it the Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic? Uh, before I get to that, can I make a comment about the Davis Cup? Sure, please do. And then we'll... While Matt was describing the Labor Cup and the Davis Cup, I'm thinking to myself, here's a guy, Matt's Lander, who's won three Davis Cups. And when I was playing, it was the greatest honor you could ever have was to play for your country. And I've just got to – I mean, it to me, it's so sad what's happened to the Davis Cup. It's just – it's not what it was, and it was interesting that you finished your your talking point there, Matt, about saying that it was some of the greatest times and the greatest experience you've ever had. It's just a shame that, that the Davis Cup isn't what it was, and I, I don't know where, where it got lost and how it got messed up, but um, kudos to you with those three titles and that team that you guys formed and that brotherhood and I mean, those must be, I mean, you guys get back together. It must be amazing times to think back. Those memories, amazing. And that match against uh, McEnroe, we'll, we'll never forget that one. That was the coming of Matt Lander for sure. What was it, 
It was the second coming. It was it was right after the French Open win in '82. I'm trying to forget, later. Johnny, but all Americans <laughs> keep reminding me. Oh, it's the greatest match I've ever seen, and blah blah. How come the stadium was only half full? That's what John McEnroe always says. Oh, oh yeah, was it such a great match? The stadium was half full because we played at two o'clock in the morning, of course. You know, and I'll answer your question, Johnny. Is where did the Davis Cup lose its way? In my opinion is similar to asking the question of where college football has lost its way. And it's, it's, it's just follow the money, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's NIL contracts and it's people opting out. And I'm talking college football now, but I think that the Davis cup making the decision to, to reformat itself and to have people like Roger Federer chewing people like me out about it. I think it's just uh, put it in a position to, uh, to really change what, how it is viewed. And I think that's where it's at now. Getting back to the question that I wanted to ask you, which was also dovetailing off of a comment that Matt's made, which is the the bit about you know us still having to be challenged by dealing with COVID, so that when you're running an event like the one you're running in mid March for the second time, which the first time around was just an unbelievable event that we've we've discussed that was won by Matteo Berrettini the first time, do you have to consider? the double-edged sword that it is to try to fill that stadium, albeit this is clearly not Ash Stadium we're talking about at the Phoenix Country Club. It's still a lot of people in a small area. And do you fear that, I mean, obviously you want to have people there, but you want to have too many people there. How do you strike that balance? And what are the things that you have to consider with your marketing? Well, I mean, remember, we are in Arizona and uh, things, things don't stop there. Right. Uh, very much like Florida. And, um, you know, you go to the Phoenix Suns games and it's packed arenas. And, you know, on the first few rows, it looks like people have to wear masks. But you go to the Fiesta Bowl, which we just had. And I mean, I, I don't think people are stopping. You know, I haven't heard anything from from ATP regarding any new restrictions or anything. Obviously, the Phoenix Country Club management will, you know, will be in close uh, contact with them to see what concerns they might have, but we'll, we'll follow all the protocols. The event is outside. Um, I, I don't think it's going to stop us. The, the waste management open, the big golf tournament is, is going on. They just have the Schwab cup uh, at the Phoenix country club. So I, I, you know, I think life is still moving forward and we're hopeful to put on a great event and um, uh, we'll follow all the protocols that, that, that will be in place for sure. When we come back, guys, I want to talk a little bit about where the sport is going from uh, just an X's and O's perspective. We talked a little bit about that with Pat Cash, Matt's, in the first segment, and I want to readdress some of those questions with you guys and maybe get you, Matt's, to comment on some of the things that Cashy was saying, because I'd like to hear your thoughts on that as well. You're listening to the 2022 season debut of KickServeRadio.com. We are proud partners of Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and very, very happy to be a part of all of that. Matt's Vlander, Johnny Levine, I'm Andy Zoden, back with segment number three right after this. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. This is the season debut and the final segment of the season debut. And I'm going back to you, Matt, because when we talked to Cashy in the first segment, we talked about sort of the dilemma, if you will, of being a coach who played the game style in the era of tennis that Cashy and for that matter, you did. You guys were almost identical years on tour. And now you're, you're, you're coaching 
guys that play a completely different brand of tennis, live a completely different lifestyle from a social and communication perspective. And is that part of the, again, the dilemma of having to try to catch up with these kids or, or force these kids to try to see things your way? And, and, and how do you find common ground there? Well, I actually think that you're trying to get kids to see things the way um, we see it, because I know that the way we see it is the way Roger Federer sees it. Uh, and that hasn't really changed. It was a day in, day out, uh, full commitment to your passion. Uh, it, it's full pursuit in improving every aspect of your game. Uh, well knowing that you might never end up going to the net, but you need to improve everything because it, it gives you a feeling of um, um, a bit of a, a safety vibe, if you may, that you can go to the net. So I actually think that, uh, kids, they're coming off these tennis academies and then they're trying to come out and, and, and play professional tennis, whether they go through college or not. I think that, yes, I think it's the old-fashioned uh, way of putting your phone as far away from you as possible for as often as possible. Of course, having your two-hour window at times to do your social media. But again, I've never, ever seen Roger Federer carrying a cell phone around uh, at any tournament ever. Uh, and it's the same with Rafa Nadal uh, and Novak. But, but of course, they do their Instagrams and whatnot, whether they do them themselves or not. So there is a room for that. But um, I think the old-fashioned style of, of uh, uh, pursuit of, uh, of perfection, whether results come or not. And I think that's a very old way of looking at it. Because remember, and Johnny, you would know this too, we didn't play professional tennis because we didn't think we were going to become professional tennis players because there wasn't really any money in those days. Uh, you just play tennis because it was fun. And we all started for the same reason, the three of us. Today, a lot of kids that go to tennis academies, they did not start because it was fun. They started because they were put there. Once you get on tour, you realize that, hey, you better start enjoying this because you have to learn how to get better on the road. So I think an experienced man like Pat Cash you have to try and get these kids to, to think along a, a little bit of an old-fashioned uh, thought process, I think, to be successful on tour. I really do. One of the things, Johnny, in the first segment that Matt's asked Pat Cash that was interesting was whether or not he had any regrets in looking back at the way he did things in his career uh, and they kind of went back and forth about that. I found that very interesting. And having watched you, you know, from the time you were a freshman in college and go through and have, in my opinion, a, you know, a, a successful run out there. I mean, again, considering the level of competition and, and, and the fact that you were able to, you know, quarterfinal a couple of slams and, and had some great results in your day, get to the third round of the U.S. Open and play Yvonne Lendl. If you had it to do all over again, what might you have changed about your path? Well, I, I, you know, I don't like to look back, but um, one of the things that that I, I think I might have um, considered and I would actually recommend to um, very high level college tennis players is to unless you are really at a high level winning professional tournaments, you know, challengers and things like this in the summers. And if you take a semester off, unless you're in that top hundred, you've reached the top hundred. I, I would recommend to stay through school. I really do. I think the chances of guys making it today are so slim. 
and and I think that it's been proven that you can get through college tennis, you can improve, you can get an education. Um, it's it's you know people look back, and I know you're, you're probably one of them that college is some of the best times of people's lives when they look back at it more times than not. And so, you know, why sacrifice going on the tour if you're you know the results are are, are hit and miss and you're giving up what I think is valuable years, valuable maturity, uh, camaraderie that you never get back. So looking at myself, you know, I made a decision to turn pro after my third year. Had I maybe considered it over again, I probably would have wanted to stay all throughout college. I don't regret it because I, I don't look back like that, but it's just advice that I would give. And I, you know, I, you know, it's just so hard to make it on the tour that I just think that those, those college years are valuable and getting that education is really important as well. And obviously I think it's important for people to know that you were one of the ones that went back and got your degree many years later. And I know it meant a lot to you to be able to go and do that and, and show that to your family and prove that to yourself. And I was of course, very proud of you, Johnny, to see you do that. You know, guys, one of the things that happened at the end of the year that, that was a real big deal here in this country was the passing of John Madden. And, and I think that what we, what we saw in, in, in watching uh, the documentary, if you got a chance to see it, or just hearing what everybody had to say about him, was what he did for the sport of football. And I don't know that we've necessarily had a broadcaster or a, a coach become broad. But does tennis have that, that one person, that John Madden, or do we need that to be able to put sort of tennis on their shoulders almost the way Madden put football on his shoulders. Because if you look at the separation that the sport of football has to basketball and baseball anymore in this country, you got to attribute it largely to what John Madden did. And then also to what sort of fantasy football has done to, to raise that level of popularity match. If there's anybody out there that you really feel like the sport of tennis is really relying on to help propel it forward. Does that person exist? Well, I mean, Unfortunately, uh, obviously, with Bud Collins uh, passing away a couple of years ago, uh, to me, Bud Collins was the American version uh, of uh, a John Madden. Obviously, it's much more difficult in tennis because it's such a global sport to have just one person. Each country, I think, Andy, needs, needs somebody that is, that is in it for, for the long haul, that's in it for fun, uh, that going to the majors is a passion. I have a Swedish journalist Bjorn Helberg, who's been to, I think it's 53 Wimbledons in a row, apart from, of course, the one that got canceled a couple of years ago. Um, but I mean, they, yeah, these people exist. I'm hoping I'll be in tennis and working for, uh, as, a, as a journalist for media, for TV, for as long as possible. Fred Stoller is another guy, name that comes to mind. Fred Stoller worked forever for ESPN. And then you would think when he's done there, he would, he would step down. No, then he started to commentate for the world feed at the majors, and eventually he got, uh, I think, just a little bit too old. But I think it's important. Bud Collins, Andy, I think that's it. Because Bud Collins, he really, he really changed how we talk about tennis, uh, some expressions, and, of course, with all those uh, colorful pants that he would wear, Bud Collins was a legend. Johnny, if you look at it just strictly from an American perspective of who's in the game now, Obviously, you know, it, it has to be viewed that John McEnroe is sort of the preeminent announcer and the guy that 
the, the guy that really can take the mainstream sports fan, maybe on the, maybe on the women's side, Mary Carrillo. I think she does so many great things outside of tennis and has such a well-rounded journalism background and, and, and with HBO and all the different things she does with NBC and the Olympics and all that. Do you think maybe that the combination of McEnroe and Carrillo is kind of where the United States tennis is, is kind of hanging its hat for the most part? Yes. For the most part, Andy, I think, I think McEnroe, it seems though, and maybe it's due to COVID. He hasn't done quite as many of the matches, but, but he sure is effective. And, and I think people really uh, appreciate John McEnroe's commentating. And I think he's worked hard to get to where he, to where he is at it. And, and even when he does his commentating with, with, with his brother, I mean, it's just a great pair. Um, you know, they get, they get uh, Chris Fowler in there on the Wimbledon finals and it's, it's just a really nice rhythm that they have. And, and, and McEnroe, pretty much says it the way it is. And I, I really appreciate, you know, obviously his knowledge of the game. And I, I think he is the preeminent, uh, you know, sportscaster for tennis in, in the United States. And, and obviously Mary Carrillo as well um, on the women's side, there's a lot of good announcers, but those two, like you said, really, really do stick out to me for sure. We, we don't want to shortchange Jim Courier. We don't want to shortchange Patrick McEnroe or Brad Gilbert because there's a lot of there's a lot of good people, but I think those two stand above the rest. Matt, you got something? Yeah, I got something because I think it's really important to understand that um, you know there's a there's a massive difference between John McEnroe and Brad Gilbert. Okay. And Brad Gilbert sticks into the game for another twenty years. No one knows that he ever hit a tennis ball. Uh, because he really didn't have the results. So eventually he'll get known for his expertise, his analytics, his nicknames of players, and he can become uh, as big in the game as a John Madden. With John McEnroe, he was a player, and he's always going to be a player who speaks his mind, and there's no way that he, as a, as a journalist or as a commentator, is ever going to be a bigger name than he was as a player. So I think it's, it's really uh, um, important that, that these guys, Patrick Macrono, Brad Gilbert, and don't get me wrong, they were absolutely great players. But at some point uh, in France, nobody knows that Yannick Noah actually hit a tennis ball. They think he's a singer. Right. And in Sweden... Bjorn Borg's name and tennis is not synonymous anymore. Bjorn Borg and underwears is <laughs> starting to become synonymous. So I think that's going to happen eventually. And I think um, and, and Brad Gilbert is perfect for me. Brad Gilbert, I like you said, Jim Curry. I think Jim Curry is absolutely brilliant. I love everything he does. And he's borderline. He was a great, great player, but not in the same level as a John McEnroe, at least not in uh, recognition in terms of a player. So it's, it's tough. We need them though, Andy, it's a great question you throw out. And when I go to the press room at Wimbledon, I mean, I don't hang out in the players lounge anymore. I hang out in the press room because I'm telling everybody, listen guys, we're going to be here for a long, long time. The Novak Djokovic of the world, they're going to come and go, but we are here for 30, 40, 50 years in the press room. Well, and I would just push back on one thing you said, and I would say that Bjorn Borg was probably known for underwear even back at age 19, 20, from what I heard from the girls that were watching him play tennis. That's another situation. Johnny, let me ask you this about Matt Svelander, because one of the things that you have always marveled at about Matt's has been his humility. I personally don't see it, 
but you somehow <laughs> do. And now, now my question is how, how does Matt's pull this off that he really is known as such a humble guy, but yet when he is giving his editorial comments, will oftentimes kind of like what Pat Cash did in the opening segment, he will tell you what he really thinks. He is not afraid to give it to you straight, give you some good, hard, tough love, brutal honesty, whatever you want to call it. How does the guy pull off both? Because Matt's Matt's has figured out he wants to be, you know, the best commentator or the best tennis aficionado. And he knows that just going middle of the road is not going to do anything. He wants to express his opinions and lay it on the line. And, 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 and that is what people want to hear. I mean, they don't want to hear the boring Johnny Levine uncontroversial. They want to hear some, some meat. They want to get to the bottom of stuff. And Matt's is, has understood that that's what the people want and they want the real story and Matt's gives it. So kudos to Matt's for, for really, you know, knowing what it takes to be, you know, popular and, and, and unpopular at the same time. Well, I just want to say that, you know, for you, Johnny, this year, we've always had it in Matt's contract that that every show will mention three majors in, in 88. But for you, what's in your contract is that we're not going to ask you to take a stand on anything. This year. So, so, so that is going to be a very I'll comfortable year. It's going to be an easy ride for you. Matt, how do you pull it off? Seriously, I mean, because I, I'm, I'm with you at these tennis events where you're teaching these people and people don't realize you walk out onto the court with complete strangers, country club players that have absolutely worshipped the ground that you have walked on since you know, you won the French in 82. And yet at the end of, uh, of a session, I should say five minutes into it, you know, all of their names, you know, a little something about these people, you make them feel like you're, you're friends with them, but yet you're able to tell Andy Murray, he has no business taking a wild card into the French open. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, I think what it is, uh, and it's weird. I think it's because I actually care. And when you care about something, whether it's playing tennis or teaching tennis, I actually care about my student. I care about professional tennis, and I care more about the game than I ever do about players. And the funny thing is, when you care about something as much as I care about tennis and teaching and playing, you, on the other hand, don't care what other people think about you. Or you don't care when they come back. And I also know that, of course, I care. And then sometimes I get slapped in the face and I realize, oh, whoops, I went too far that time. Uh, But in the end, it's because I think this game uh, deserves uh, to always be put on the pedestal. Nobody, no human being, no tournament, no, no federation or president or anything is ever going to be as big as the game. And if it is, got to pull them down from there because tennis has produced such great human beings, apart from the two of you, of course. But, <laughs> I mean, you could just go with Billie Jean King and Arthur Ashe. I mean, really, Arthur Ashe is most probably known as a tennis player for many people, but he's as known as a political activist. Billie Jean King, of course, she's known as a tennis player, but, but equal rights for women I mean, that's what she's done her, her best job, I think. And tennis produces these people. Uh, and they, I bet you, Billie Jean King, um, 
She's made some enemies over the over the years because she cares. And when you care, you sometimes go a little bit too far. But at the end, I want to hear that people think I go too far. And then you tell me, you slap me in the face like Andy Murray did when I uh, told about the wild card. He said, well, you don't think I should take all the wild cards, do you, Matt, live working for Eurosport? And I said, well, no, I do if you care, if you're motivated. And then we turned it around and became a laugh in the end. So I'm, I'm only saying what I, what I think, and I'm hoping that it helps the game. It certainly helps me to learn about myself. And, and I know very little about professional tennis, so I need people to educate and teach me. But that means I have to show that I care, I think. Sounds a little bit like John Madden to me, maybe with a little splash of Aaron Rodgers in there who – most recently said that he's playing his best football now because he finally no longer gives a F. So <laughs> there you go. There you so go. you got both sides of it. So now I've gotten my explanation. Boys, it has been the season debut, 2022. Uh, it is the Carvana Arizona Tennis Classic. It is taking place March 13th through 20th at the Phoenix Country Club. It is Johnny Levine's second foray into such a challenger and the first time around Matteo Berrettini was your singles champion Jamie Murray and Neil Skupski were your doubles champions so this tournament is legit it may be called a challenger but it certainly plays like an ATP tour event Johnny good luck with that this year and uh and I will be there Andy we're and Max Vlander will be there. Yeah, we'll I will be also there. be there. And now. we're going to do a live version of kickserveradio.com on site at the Phoenix Country Club. Johnny, when do you want us there? Tomorrow. <laughs> 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 we'll figure out those details, but I know uh, everyone's excited to, to have you guys come out and, and help with the tournament. And um, uh, it should be a lot of fun and we're looking forward to it. And hopefully we'll get a great player field and, uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be great. I just hope that those fans down in Phoenix realize that that between the two of us, Matt's and I have won seven major championships, <laughs> a Wimbledon doubles title, and three Davis Cups, and a, and a slew of age group tournaments in Colorado. All right, for Andy Zoden, Matt's Vlander, and Johnny Levine, you have been listening to the season debut, the 2022 debut of Tennis Channel Podcast Network's KickServeRadio.com. We're really excited to bring you a great season starting out this year with Pat Cash. Lots more to come. Have a great year, everybody. Enjoy the Aussie Open, and we'll see you soon on Tennis Channel Podcast Network.